You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Global Trade This Week. I am Doug Draper, one of your hosts. I'm joining you on this episode from lovely Fresno, California. And literally on the other side of the country is uh, my partner in crime and co-host, Pete Mento, Pete Mento, who has his chair flipped around. So both of us oh. have different backgrounds on this show, just keeping it keeping it real. How are you doing, yeah. Pete? I'm good, buddy. It's going to freak folks out. They're they're going to, they're going to wonder what's going on with the show. Yeah, um, but yeah. we're 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 bi coastal this week, not bipolar. So mm-hmm. um, I'm glad we gave him a different view. I, I told yes. you, I like I like you with the the nice internet and a professional office. It's a good look. Yes. My office in Denver is like a 10 by 10 cube. And here it's got a little echo. So if there's an echo to, the, to our listeners, I apologize about that. But but yeah. So Pete, when I come into California, special to Central Valley, huge ag industry, and it's not making news as it was in the uh, atmospheric rivers, but there's still a big concern about the uh, amount of water that's coming down from the Sierras and the farmland and everything else. And I flew over yesterday. I came in at like uh, eight o'clock last night. There is so much snow still in the mountains. It's un- It looks like it's middle of winter. It's unbelievable. So I think that there's just going to be a water situation out here for the entire summer. It's just I was blown away at how much snow was still up in the mountains. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cold here. You know, when we went to the White Mountains last week, I didn't see any up in the peaks. I know there is some still. I know they're still they're actually still skiing up in Vermont and wow. in northern New Hampshire and the uh, higher elevations and like at Tuckerman's and stuff they're still skiing, but I I didn't see any. Um, however, I, it has as I was saying to you and Keenan before the show, it's been in the 40s, the lower 50s the last couple of days. It's been in the 40s, upper 30s overnight up mm. here in New Hampshire the last couple of days, but it's been ridiculous weather. It, 90s for a couple of days, 30s. It's um, miserable. And then on top of that, I suffer from seasonal allergies like all American nerds. I think it's, it's actually part of, part of the deal. Yeah. So these, these past couple of days with that low pressure, man, I have been, I mean, just blowing snot and sneezing. And mm-hmm. it's been bad, Doug. I'm, I've, before the show, I had to blow some Flonase up my nose and take, take some pills like an hour ago. So hopefully I make it through without sneezing so hard, I, I blow my laptop across the room. We'll see how I do. Yeah. Well, it's a good start. A bunch of old guys left. We checked the box. I'm talking about weather and personal yep. ailments. Yep. So yep. we're definitely yep. uh, showing our age on, on this one. So well, did you, did you, I, you must've seen what I put on LinkedIn last week. Mm, I don't know. You posted a couple different things. Which one? I, I, well, I said about the show, we should change the name to two old guys complaining about things. <laughs> rather than global trade this week because we were we, we just basically it was like too cranky curmudgeonly i remember when we, i was young yeah it was it was bad we, we yeah. sounded like the two guys in the balcony on the muppet show last oh week. love it yeah more yeah. no what were their names i don't remember yeah i don't I remember anyway yeah, that, that'll remember. be somebody listening will know so yeah it won't but, be keenan uh, though because no. i don't think he, the muppet show, yeah god there's no way yeah we stumped him with some old school chicago uh uh Transit Authority and Robert Lamb back in the day, we yeah. stumped them on that. I was shocked he knew who the Doobie Brothers were. That yeah. that blew me away, and that he had actually been to a Doobie Brothers show. That that freaked me out a little bit. 
Yeah, but well, you know. entrepreneurial spirit. He's selling glow sticks to uh, a drunk yeah. college kid, so I'll give him credit for that. God bless you, Keenan. So, anyway, yeah. let's do this. We're, we're going to uh, start with uh, we're going to tag team a topic because it is very relevant and very important to our industry. So yeah. uh, we're going to do three topics this week, and uh, we'll start with the uh, uh, with the one that we'll share. So kick it off, Pete. Yeah, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a, a little bit of time together talking about the work stoppage on the West Coast last week. Mm-hmm. And you could call it whatever you'd like. I don't I don't think that we could I don't think that we could accurately call it a strike or a work stoppage because I don't think that they called it a strike or a work stoppage. But boy, did it feel like one um, on the West Coast last week. Everything, you know, it, it felt ominous. It felt like something almost out of a horror film. Everything was going perfectly fine. And then suddenly people weren't showing up for work. They weren't showing up for their shifts. They were, um, they were slowing down. People were, um, you know, half of them were showing up for the shifts. But long story short, the ports were unable to work at full staff. And it was big news, big, big news. So on Friday and over the weekend, if anybody was reading the trades, if you were on LinkedIn, if you were on Twitter, it was everywhere. And what's, I guess, a little ironic is we've been shoving so much freight onto the East Coast because we've all been sort of tenuously waiting for something like this to happen. And it finally has. But volumes have been so low mm-hmm. on the East Coast and the West Coast. I don't know. I mean, did it really feel like it? it happened, you know, was it, if you, if you were going to pick a time, it is before peak season, if, if there is such a thing this year, but it did get a lot of attention. What's unfortunate is there's, there hasn't been as slow a period. There hasn't been as precipitous, uh, a downturn in freight rates and in volumes that we've seen in a long time. And I think that the, the ship owners and the carriers and the ports have got the um, the port workers in, in a bit of a pickle and a bit of a bind because I don't know how much leverage the unions really have right now. They had a whole lot more a year ago, and they still got plenty of leverage. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have as much as they used to, and um, it's unfortunate because we've gone a year now without a contract, and um, they probably picked the wrong time to really push the leverage, Doug. Yeah, yeah. The two things that caught my attention on this is the headline for this one, Pete, was L.A., Long Beach, Oakland, and Seattle. So it was a West Coast, not just uh, not just L.A., which which jives to your point is that, all right, where is the leverage? The volumes are down. How much um, interruption can they cause? Well, let's get our brothers in arms together and let's talk about all of the ports on the West Coast. And then... Um, that got me thinking about, okay, well, there's got to be an alternative mo- um, motive here as well. And I'm just going to read it verbatim that I, uh, that I found. This is specific to the memorandum of, of agreement between the Port of Seattle and the longshoremen up there. Yada, yada, yada. It's like 45 pages long, but it says the memorandum of agreement shall remain in effect through the duration of the collective bargaining agreement which is December 31st, 2023. So I think the, the play here, Pete, is that, um, well, let's, uh, brothers in arms, let's try to get this thing together and let's um, stand tall for the entire West Coast. Um, so that, that struck me as this one, is that 
you know what, we can't do as much damage and Im, uh, impact uh, the economy as we may have in the past. We still need to be uh, visible and heard. So let's get everybody on the West Coast to do it. And oh, by the way, the Longshoreman uh, Agreement up in, in the Seattle-Tacoma ends in six months. So anyway, that was kind of the things that caught my attention on this one. Yeah, the, the word comrades comes to mind, Doug. <laughs> yeah, comrades, you know, and it's it's effective. And you can talk about the lowered volume. And that was brought up a lot when you read the articles that have been posted and the conversations in the trade. The timing because of low volumes, it, it doesn't matter. The West Coast ports are still taking in plenty of volume. And there's still plenty of shipping and plenty of supply chains that come in through the West Coast. So talk about as low volume as you want, still plenty of ships and it still gets plenty mm -hmm. of attention. Um, and nobody wants to see this. And it's just going to make more of, more pain for the East Coast and for shippers who are going to just end up saying, well, I guess the, the long national nightmare isn't over on the West Coast. Hey, guys, what do you got for me on the East Coast? And it's just going to bring mm -hmm. more pressure on rates on the East Coast and on the ports on the East Coast. And as a guy on the East Coast who loves him some Port of New York, New Jersey, <laughs> you know, and Boston and, and Norfolk and, and Savannah and Charleston and the list goes on and on, Jacksonville. And, um, you know, I, I'm happy for him. I'm really mm -hmm. happy for him. And I hope they, they keep some of this, this freight. Uh, it's a hardworking ports, Norfolk, the list goes on and on. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Uh, it's better for the country as a whole that we have that diversity of, of connectors and that we're able to, to use all of them. And this has been going on long enough, man. I think that both both of these connected parties need to sit down and realize that their leverage has deteriorated, that this is getting to the point where it's it's diabolical while at the same time being childish. And mm -hmm. they need to find some way to, to bring some degree of, of a finality to their agreement. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, we spoke, I, one of the episodes during the, during the pandemic when we talked about the secondary and tertiary reports, uh, ports, um, being the beneficiaries of the congestion out there. And once you give something away, it's hard to give it back or yeah. whether you give something and, and hard to get it back. So it, it, it continues to validate that all the ports that you just referenced on the East Coast, um, the infrastructure, the opportunity um, was not a blip. It's real and it's sustainable. And, and it, you know, diversifying the way that we enter into the United States and the way we manage our imports, I think, is uh, overall beneficial by having it spread out more than it was just uh, pre-COVID. And when they learned that it wasn't so bad, when they ripped that Band-Aid off and they use an alternate port with different draymen and different over-the-road carriers, different bonded facilities, and when that importer says, you know what, this, this works, mm -hmm. service was good, these different providers were good, I think we'll be okay. It, it demystifies the idea that the supply chain partners that they had were infallible. Mm -hmm. And now it, it changes their mind about, about defecting to other providers down the road. So it's dangerous. It's dangerous for the incumbents is really what it is. Yeah, that's it. You're right. You nailed it. So, all right. Well, I'm going to shift to my first topic, which is another um, timely headline blurb from the last uh, handful of days, which is the U.S. and the Chinese warships become dangerously close in the Strait of uh, uh, Taiwan Strait. And uh, I think they almost collided. Um, basically, Chinese warship 
150 yards or something. And apparently the way I understand it, P, is the ship sped up. This is the Chinese uh, ship sped up, changed course, radioed to um, the U.S. destroyer and said, hey, you got to change your course uh, or we're going to collide. Um, the U.S. said, back down, what are you doing, back and forth. And ultimately, um, the U.S. did slow down and change their course so there wasn't any type of collision. So um, obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to understand the posturing that's still going on. It continues to validate the importance of Taiwan from both entities. And although we were agnostic for many, many years on uh, our um, uh, support, and uh, wartime efforts for Taiwan. Obviously, that's changing with uh, uh, the uh, politicians and the meetings that we've had over uh, in Taiwan. And the fact that we're doing joint missions, this one was actually a joint mission with Canada. So we're bringing in some of our allies to kind of cruise around the, the island and, uh, and make sure there's no uh, funny business going on, so to speak. But yeah, it was uh, pretty bold, pretty... Uh, Pretty out there, and uh, I don't know. It's just another tangible example of uh, of what's going on, and the cat and the mouse. So it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. I guess is my uh, my, my take on it. So power move by China. Yep, yep. Is there going to be more tense follow up? Yes. I wouldn't say World War Three is going to be uh, played out on uh, on YouTube and TikTok, but. You've probably seen the videos that uh, that have popped up just in the last couple of days. So uh, just another tangible example of the tensions that are continuing to evolve between uh, U.S.-China relations. I don't know. Do you got any take on that? Oh, I got plenty. <laughs> so I've um, been fortunate enough to hang around with a lot of real dangerous guys in my life, whether it's special warfare guys or, um, or, or professional fighters. And they have a couple of things in common. And one of them is they don't get mixed up in fights they don't need to be mixed up in. And it's something that I have a lot of respect for. And uh, a, a very memorable moment in my life was being out with an honest-to-God UFC fighter, not just an MMA fighter, but a guy who's a UFC fighter, a guy that you've seen fight. And um, drinking with him one night. And that evening, there was a... Um, a scuffle that went on and someone started with him and got in his face and knew who he was and wanted to get him going. And he was like, Hey man, I don't know who you got a problem with, but it's not with me. Mm -hmm. And just de-escalated it and said, I think we should probably get going. And we all left. And there's, there's, uh, there's certainly a lot of ego driven comfort that can come from, having someone start with you and finishing it for them. But there's also a lot of bad things that come from that as well. Mm -hmm. And China knew we weren't going to do anything. It gives them all kinds of propaganda and it makes them be able to beat their chest in front of a lot of people. But if there's one thing that China doesn't want to do, it's fuck with the U S Navy. And sooner or later, they're going to find that out. So let them, cross bows, let them, you know, make starboard deport passages and do all kinds of dumb things underway. But all they're doing is proving to the world that they're playing dangerous games at sea with both people's lives and their vessels. Mm -hmm. And eventually they're going to win the hard way. This isn't the Navy to mess with. Yeah. I'm very confident with that. Very, very confident with that. Yeah. So uh, I get it. I get it. 
What, what's scary is though, is that when you do dangerous things in close proximity with people that are dangerous, sooner or later, something bad can happen. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just hope cooler heads prevail, man. Yeah. But no, that, that was, uh, I forget what the acronym is, but F around and find out kind of moment. And if yeah. people don't start backing down, it could get pretty ugly, pal. Yeah. Or there'll be a misstep. There'll be an honest to goodness, just human error on either side. Or mechanical. That, um, you can't pull back from. That's kind of uh, what we really. Yeah, I, I don't struggle. think people understand just how often things break underway. And you're, you're farting around underway like that. And you have a problem with a pump. Or you have a problem with who knows what. And mm-hmm. your secondary system fails. And then before you know it, you can't turn one way or the other. And now, you know, you're playing cute games and you got a real problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stupid. Yeah. Well, fun part of the show now is uh, halftime, obviously brought to us um, by Keenan, the crew at Cap Logistics. Um, check out their site, caplogistics.com. They can take care of any of your transportation logistics needs. We wouldn't be here, Pete, without those guys. So we always want to make sure we can give them a shout out. But halftime. The beauty of it is we can talk about whatever we want. Doesn't have anything to do with uh, with logistics. So I don't know. You want to kick it off? You want me to jump? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, I, I've been really fascinated by this story about legitimate cannabis companies apparently having some real financial problems. Been reading about a lot of them. Uh, I guess over the course of the past year, a lot of these companies have been closing. A lot of them have been merging. Many of the ones that were hoping to get themselves started up and take that next big step, if they haven't been started, a lot of ones that had bought um, real estate purchase licenses have been returning them in states where it's legal. There's been an overabundance of them. Why? I mean, you'd think, right? This was something that everybody would be running toward. Well, a couple of reasons. One, during the pandemic, when people were home, smoking a lot of weed. And uh, I guess, I guess, you know, once they started going back to work and getting their lives back together again, just didn't really fit with their lifestyle. Two, people are buying um, the necessary, I guess, accoutrements to grow their own. So you have a lot of folks that are growing their own marijuana. And I guess it's a thing to share it. So mm-hmm. let's say I grew it at my house. And you're like, hey, I was like, hey, Doug, I've got a whole bunch here. You want some? And you're like, sure, Pete. And it's sort of like if I grew too many zucchinis, I guess. And they're just giving it to their friends. <laughs> I wish I had a friend that grew too many zucchinis. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I read about this in Massachusetts. You can have up to 10 plants. And as long as you don't charge your friends for it, it's perfectly legal. Yeah. Uh, as long as your friends over 21. And then third, because it's so heavily taxed in most of these states, uh, there's apparently still uh, an incredible underground market for the cultivation and sale of marijuana because it's just so much cheaper when the taxes aren't involved that it's been really undercutting the legal sale. So there's a huge black market for it all over the place. And uh, as they've been able to, I guess, grow it, sometimes right with the legal stuff and sell it underneath the nose of the state. It's um, it's only made them able to sell it at an even more uh, admirable price. So it's been a real problem, man. And um, yeah. we're about to have legal weed here in New Hampshire and we're not going to tax it. 
So mm. there's not going to be any sales tax on marijuana. They're just going to sell it through the state liquor stores and give the profits back to the state. So I'm wondering what that's going to mean for us here. Probably going to mean everybody from Vermont, Maine, and Massachusetts is going to drive here to buy it. But yeah. Please do, and then go back to where you came from because we don't want you in our state. But yeah, probably yeah. going to happen. But. Crazy. Well, the barrier to entry was worth it. Um, like you said, back in the, the pandemic here in Colorado, I don't even know how long it's been legal, a decade or so. And um, it was novel. People jumped into it. But if you didn't get into the weed business in Colorado within the first year, 18 months, it went corporate. You couldn't get back in. So a couple of yahoos like you and I trying to open up some weed shop <laughs> kind of missed the opportunity if you didn't do it in the first uh, 18 months from what I've seen. But all those things, I'm not going to rehash what you just said, but all of those things are happening here in Colorado. Um, and it's starting to get a lot of a lot of attention. This, it, it is a pain in the ass to get up and running. Taxes, the whole nine yards. So let's hit the brown market. It's called a side hustle now <laughs> and and uh, and go from there. So, yeah, I got to believe it's a lot of work, Doug. Like, it seems like a real pain in the ass to be involved in that business. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, hey, mine is uh, talking a little bit about everybody's favorite company. Actually, it's not everybody's favorite company right now. Um, Chat GPT and the whole AI thing would probably fit that category. But Apple stock price just this morning hit an all-time high, $183 or so, putting a market cap at $2.6 trillion. Last week, we talked about how a million just isn't what it used to be. So Apple is one handful, $2.6 trillion. I think they're $400 billion bigger than uh, the, the next company, which is Microsoft. So anyway, um, two things. Number one, there's always some statistic out there that just validates how stupid people are or how much we missed the boat. If you invested $1,000 uh, at the IPO of Apple back in 1980, you would be worth $1.8 million. Um, so that's, uh, you're a complete moron. Why didn't you invest in this company? Hindsight's 2020. But one of the things that it's on the, on the uh, uh, that, that's coming out that people are thinking there's some speculation is um, they're coming out with a mixed reality headset in the next couple of days, um, launching it $1,500. But the bottom line, Pete, is it's still like goggles you have to put on. And I think that, you know, maybe Apple glasses were probably a little bit ahead of their time. People like you and I are both wearing right now. I think glasses are a little bit more acceptable. Like I'm not putting a headset on, right? I'm not a gamer. So if I was a gamer, maybe. Um, but I'm not putting a headset on to do this show. I'm not putting a headset on to do a Zoom call with uh, or a Teams call with a, uh, with, with a customer or a vendor or anybody. So I don't get it. Um, it's cool that Apple's a $2.6 trillion company. I just don't see how the headset is going to continue that trajectory. And I think in a couple of months, um, it's going to fizzle out a little bit and it's just not going to be what it is. Not that the product is inferior. It's the fact that people have not adapted the simple fact that you're putting these massive goggles on to go in an alternative world. You know, I don't think we're ready for ready player one. Um, so anyway, that just caught my attention. I'm waiting for the virtual reality thing to all the business uses I see for it. Repair, experimentation. I think, I think when that happens, it's really going to. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We, we talked about once, I think, uh, like the uh, road checks of a truck, right? Mm -hmm. You put on these goggles, you walk around. I don't know, are my brakes legal or not? How, how, how many millimeters or is this light operating? And the system will tell you, 
right? Just right there on your glasses. So the commercial application for sure. So, hey, I just almost forgot Casa Bonita update. So here's the deal. It's not open yet. There's going to be a series of, this is what's going to happen with the opening, a series of soft openings, not just one, but several. We've got to get tickets. It's going to be limited time. It's like just weekends only. And then it's going to be five days and then seven days. And um, it's going to pretty much be uh, six to eight weeks before muggles like you and I can even get in there to uh, to, to see the new menu. So uh, I'm sure there'll be some backlash on that. But that's how it's going to roll out. They gave the menu last week. It's going to be a slow rollout. But uh, you and I, Pete, we're not saddling up and going to Casa Bonita anytime soon. Doug, we've got to know somebody who knows somebody. There's got, yep. I mean, there's got to be. We have to know someone who can get us into that place. Yeah. yeah. This is like a South Park episode. Between, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. between the people that we know, we've got to know someone that can get us into Casa Bonita. I got yeah. a few weeks off, bro. I mean, I've got a project I'm working on right now, but I've done most of the like the, the on-site work, so now I'm just writing stuff. I'm yeah. telling you. I'm telling yeah, you. I will fly you, out if, you, if we can get in there. That's right. We gotta, somebody's got to know a guy, and you're exactly right. It is a South Park episode. And I bet that um, Parker and Matt Stone will do a parody of it if – Things get kind of crazy, and um, and the opening comes out. So we'll, we'll have respect to see, but... my authority. <laughs> yeah, I got the yeah. glasses, man. I got the mirrored sunglasses. I got the, I did the whole thing. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. All right, what's number two for you? Uh, number two for me is um, non-surprising news from OPEC, and they've actually ratcheted up today. They are they're ratcheting back output. OPEC is. It's like, whoa, 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 crude oil prices are way down. We cannot have this. This is bad for us. And it's particularly bad for this, this new relationship that we're trying to build with our good friends in Russia. Eh, you got to close that pipe drain here. So they've, <laughs> um, they've, uh, they've absolutely slowed down drilling and they've, they've slowed down output. And then on top of that, they've increased prices pretty much everywhere. So that news came out today. And what that means in the, the, the macro world is you're going to see the price of crude. It's going to react everywhere, right? So you're, you're going to see crude go up. You're also going to see exploration increase. So you're going to see drilling happening in places where now it's going to be more um, financially rewarding for them to go after it. Probably see an increase in fracking, people working in the oil sands in Canada, more exploration in Canada. So probably attitudes being a little more open in the United States for oil exploration and drilling and extraction, right? Um, Macro-wise also, it's going to mean that uh, fuel prices are probably going to remain where they are right now. You're starting to see some easing around the U.S., which is, you know, it was, it was nice, particularly in the summer when everyone's driving everywhere. Sad trombone, wah, wah, wah. Near the end of the summer now, it's probably going to be stable when mm -hmm. we start. This would probably would have affected us like August, September. It's probably going to be flat, you know, when those months begin to end. Those those numbers are probably going to continue on, which really sucks. Um, and also, it's going to end up being on a micro level for us as people in um, logistics. It's going to affect transportation costs. So as we head into our negotiation phases for the coming fall, you're going to see this actually hitting up our logistics costs. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing to keep in mind is 
diesel prices, they're probably going to increase because these barrels of oil are going to go toward gasoline first, then jet fuel, then they hit bunker C, then they hit diesel, which means those are also going to increase. It's sad news all around, my friend. Um, it's also going to be a political issue because yeah. uh, as, as crude oil continues to go up and gas prices stay high, everyone's going to promise they can get them to go down. Not a lot of president can do about this other than letting everybody frack their backyards, which probably not the most popular way of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, if you just, in, if you take out the word oil and insert the word garbage and yeah. talk about the mafia in New York city, yeah. everything you talked about could pretty much be the same. It just baffles me. Well, it doesn't baffle me. It's amazing that it's so transparent that the uh, OPEC and these, these countries are, literally a cartel like oh, yeah. they, they literally say we're going to do this because we are not making enough money right mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's it's insane so mm -hmm. I, I saw when you kicked this over to me i went and looked at a couple of headlines and even the headlines are kind of confusing right this was not a public this wasn't usa today or wall street journal but this is crazy this i'm going to read two headlines OPEC has pledged an extra million dollar or an extra million barrels a day supply cut. Like how confusing is that? It's like, does that, they just pledged a million dollars to cut, right? It's a very confusing statement. And then the next one I, I saw was that OPEC will make an extra million barrels a day oil supply cut. I'm not, exp I'm not, I'm not uh, reading these a a a as clear, but They'll make an extra million million barrels a day of oil cut. supply cut. Yeah, right? It's not it's like they're it's not like they're releasing more because that's what it seems like in the beginning. But then there's yes. that word at the end that's that's sort of like the shocker, right? Yeah, no, 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 no it's a cut. We're not making more. It's actually less. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, well, you know, I there was a news report that came out last week that these American engineers. Did you hear about the the air electricity? Did you read about this, Doug? Mm -mm, no. Air <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to make sure that I wasn't having an acid flashback. They, they, um, these scientists have built a machine, and I'm sure Keenan's all over this because this this is like a Keenan story and a half. Yeah. So they've they've got this technology where you can take any material, any organic material, and it draw it creates electricity from it. So really. You make a machine that's about the size of a refrigerator and you put it in a house and it creates electricity by pulling moisture from the air. And one of these machines that's about the size of a refrigerator could create enough electricity to power a house and it's completely carbon neutral. I do not at all understand how it works. I barely understand, you know, fire, um, <laughs> but, but I, I've watched a bunch of videos about it and um, I'll learn more, but uh, it, it works on a very small scale right now, but they're, you know, somewhere down the road. So we'll have yeah. to, maybe we'll, we'll look into this in one of our future episodes. Yeah. OPEC it's knows tough. it's just a matter of, I don't know, a century or so before we overcome them. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. a long time. That, that whole point. scenario, that, that whole thing you just said reminds me of Mike TV on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, yeah. Being able nice. to move. <laughs> we can. It's, it's, uh, so we can. We can move electrons. We can move like one individual electron to some other place. We just can't move a person yet.
yeah. someday. Crazy. Yeah. Well, hey, Pete, I got to shut her down. I got my yeah, boss but, man looking yeah. through my window. Yeah. So, so uh, that's it for another edition of Global Trade this week. We want to thank our friends at Cap Logistics, Keenan back at the booth. And we want to thank you, our loyal listeners and loyal viewers, for coming back week after week. Um, and uh, the good folks at Cap Logistics who support us. And we'll be back next week with another incredible edition of Global Trade this week. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you yeah. again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.